The human body really is a pretty fascinating machine. I mean, I know we tend to get desensitized to some things because of things that we see, and uh, we think about it so academically or scientifically, or we have this you know, little detachment, which is okay to have. But if you really step back and just take an, be in awe of the body, I mean, it's, it's just really fascinating. I mean, just take pregnancy, for example. I mean, the ability for a, a person, for a woman to make another person in their uterus is pretty fascinating. But sometimes that same fascinating physiology turns on itself. And that's exactly what happens with mirror syndrome. Now, we've known about mirror syndrome for a long time, like over a 100 years. But it's only been in the last about 10 years, how about that, that we started to figure out a little bit more about its pathogenesis. And be very clear, we don't exactly know what causes mirror syndrome, but we know a lot more now in 2023 than we did back in 1892, that's for sure. And we know a lot more now than we did just 10 years ago. Because medicine does move fast. Mirror syndrome, also known as triple edema, is also known as Ballantine syndrome. It has historically been called a rare disorder. But the truth is it may be rare because it can go unrecognized. Mirror syndrome is often underdiagnosed or misdiagnosed because of the unawareness of the condition, and sometimes it's just mistaken for regular old preeclampsia because it can have a preeclampsia-like manifestation. However, until now, the characteristics of mirror syndrome have not been fully elucidated. But medicine does move fast, and now we have a better understanding of its presentation, likely contributing factors and clinical outcomes. Still, some big knowledge gaps remain. In this episode, we're going to summarize the data on this terrible, potentially life-threatening obstetrical emergency. And our centerpiece for discussion is going to be a recent systematic review published just last month in September 2023 in the Gray Journal. Remember, that's the American Journal of OBGYN, with some of those authors coming from right here in my home state of Texas. So let's cover mirror syndrome, this scary, really life-threatening condition that at the end of this episode, hopefully we're all going to have a better grasp on. Here we go. Just trying to keep everyone up to date on evidence-based practice because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. First things first, if you're thinking mirror syndrome, I'm never going to see this thing. (laughs) I mean, what? I mean, you've got to have fetal hydropes, the placenta has to be funky, and the mom has to have hypertension. It's like the triple threat, right? Like, we're never going to see that. No, no, no. It's out there. Not long ago, I received a text from one of my former medical students who's now a resident uh, in Dallas. And it was exactly this situation. He's like, oh, my goodness, uh, we just had a super complicated delivery. Thankfully, everybody's fine. But man, touch and go because it was mirror syndrome. And man, it was really scary. And just wanted to share with you that, uh, you know, we, we had this weird condition. So it, it was out there. And this really wasn't, what was it, maybe four weeks ago, six weeks ago, maybe even not that long ago. But, but it is out there. The idea is you've got to keep your eyes out for it, 
especially with the first domino falls, which is fetal hydropes, right? And it's not just RH isoimmunization, it's fetal hydropes. Here's a little spoiler before we get down into the road and the weeds of this. It's any cause of fetal hydropes, right? So if you got fetal hydropes from X, Y, or Z, um, this weird potential physiological response, which we're going to explain likely what's going on in a minute, boom, mom gets hydropic. You're like, what? I mean, mom gets hydropic? Well, yes, but we don't call it hydropic. Obviously, we call it what? It's whole body edema, otherwise known as an anasarchic-like picture, right? It's anasarca. And that includes fluid into the abdominal spaces, the body cavities. So pleura, around the heart, uh, around the abdomen, obviously in the subcutaneous tissue. So mom gets hydropic. That's where we're going to get into this uh, uh, triple threat, this uh, triple edema issue here in a minute. Well, let's just do it. We already gave up the whole thing anyway, didn't we? So the first is fetal hydropics. The second, of course, is maternal edema. The third is that the placenta is obviously involved. So the placenta has placentomegaly uh, or, or placental edema as well. Okay. Now, as I mentioned at the intro, we don't really know exactly what's going on, but it seems to be this disarray that kind of mimics preeclampsia because it really does have to do, and this is proven, and people have measured this, with the angiogenic imbalance uh, in some biomarkers. Okay. Remember, we did an episode not long ago about a new uh, test that's got FDA clearance that looks for the balance between pro-angiogenic and anti-angiogenic factors uh, in trying to predict who of those with preeclampsia will get into severe criteria. Remember that? You can go back to the episode and we'll do that because uh, we covered all that science there. Well, well, the same thing actually happens here with mirror syndrome. And we'll get, again, I'm going to get much more into it in just a moment. But this really is a reflection that if placenta ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, all right? I mean, honestly, man, the placenta, we just thought, ah, it's kind of this big, you know, uh, you know, fleshy disc. It just kind of passes stuff to the baby. It's kind of passive. No, it's super active. The placenta is active. It's got a role here because if it releases, if it, if it can actually uh, mess with the balance of pro-angiogenic uh, and anti-angiogenic factors, nothing good happens, Okay. Now, the question is, is the placental disarray leading to the hydropes or is the hydropes leading to all this? That's the part we don't really know. It seems to be that the hydropes is first, okay? And then that's why it's called mirror syndrome. Mom is mirroring whatever pathophysiology is happening with the baby. And that include, that can be parvo, maybe parvo B19. It could be RH isoimmunization. It could be a structural defect. Maybe you could have a cardiac defect uh, or a tumor like a, um, a sacral teratoma that, uh, that is caused hydropes, all of those factors are linked to fetal hydropes, both immune and non-immune fetal hydropes. And then, and then something happens. Somehow, the placenta gets uh, into this play, gets involved, and it alters the pro-angiogenic, anti-angiogenic factors leading to a preeclampsia-like syndrome. Okay, so we already know that preeclampsia and preeclampsia with severe features, you can measure this imbalance. We, you can look at those biomarkers. You can draw the blood uh, and look for the uh, pro-angiogenic factors uh, like uh, placental-like growth factor and the anti-angiogenic um, factors like soluble-like uh, tyrosine kinase 1. And you can measure that. And, and if the imbalance is there, you're going to go, oof, those have a high chance of decompensating. Okay. Now, there's no medicine to prevent that, but you're just putting them on higher surveillance. 
Um, and this is the exact same thing that's going on here with mirror syndrome. Yes, I'm going to get into that data in a little bit, but as always, I can't help myself. So I'm just letting you know here uh, kind of as a brief outline of where we're going. But the, 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 tr- the triple condition here, what makes a condition of, of mirror syndrome seems to be fetal hydropes, placental thickness slash edema. Ah, and that's one of the issues is, well, how do you diagnose that on ultrasound? Well, there's more than one way, and that's one of the problems is we don't have a, a set uniform definition, but we'll get into that. And then the third, of course, is uh, maternal edema, all right? So it's the triple edema slash Ballantine syndrome. But there's other things that also are, are very telling for mirror syndrome, like hemodilution. See, that's the big clinical discriminator between preeclampsia, which typically is hemoconcentration, and mirror syndrome, which typically is hemodilution. All right, we're going to get into this in a minute. But if you ever ask, well, how do you know if it's mirror syndrome? Well, it's the triple edema picture plus maternal hemodilution. And we're going to get into that in more detail as we go down this road. All right, everyone, before we get into the specifics of this new systematic review and getting into the weeds here a little bit more about mirror syndrome, brace yourselves. This is your fair warning for those of you who do not like the history component of what we're talking about. Brace yourselves because it's coming. No, God. No, God, please. No, 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 no. Oh, everybody, relax, relax. It's just going to be no more than like 20 minutes. No, just kidding. The history is like, let's just do this like in three minutes, okay? But even though it's going to be very brief, it, it does have implications to where we are now. And and again, I just think this history is fascinating. You can still go to the original place where John William Ballantyne first presented this theory. How neat is that? So John William Ballantyne in 1892 first proposed this concept that somehow for this baby that was uh, critically sick in the womb and had hydropes somehow was making the mother hydropic, hence the term Ballantyne syndrome. Remember, not 1992, 1892. We actually found this monograph in the medical archives, and it was actually published out of Edinburgh. Okay, that's Edinburgh if you're in Texas, but Edinburgh, uh, at a place that is still up to date. If you ever go to Edinburgh, you can go past the Tweedale Court, and that's where where John William Ballantyne first presented this in open forum, all right? So Tweedale Court is an interesting location with a lot of history, okay? Tweedale Court. Um, that house you can still visit today, and even though this was presented in 1892, that history goes back to 1576 when the house and that court was named after the Marquise of Tweedale. How about that? Kind of neat. Anyway, that person was an advisor to King Charles II. I told you it's pretty neat. So if you ever walk through the streets of Edinburgh, you can go to Tweedale Court where John William Ballantyne first discussed this. So neat. And and again, look how fascinating history is, all right? So I actually found this historical insights monograph 
through the European Society of Human Reproduction and Embryology. And I'll post this reference on our reference list. This is out of Human Reproduction, 1999. There's a whole little monograph on John William Ballantyne. It's fascinating because his genealogy actually is pretty impressive. His uncle was James Young Simpson. So if you're thinking, um, who the heck was that? Uh, James Young Simpson, if you don't remember who that is, that's like the Simpson who introduced chloroform to obstetrics as anesthesia. Huh? I mean, kind of neat. Look at all that. Uh, Amazing how people are related in history, right? So John William Ballantyne was the nephew of the great James Young Simpson. How neat is that? Anyway, I just found that fascinating. And so then for decades, this condition started popping up in the literature. And and we're talking about just a little sprinkling uh, of reports. Because even today, there's no more than like maybe at most 150 of these uh, that's, that's been reported and documented, which raises the next point. Guys, if you all ever see something that's strange or out there or, or novel, uh, write it up. Put it in the literature. I mean, think about it. If no one had ever written up this condition of mirror syndrome, if Ballantyne would have just said, oh, that's a weird little quinky dink, this one, this N of one, um, and never thought to write that up. Uh, where where would we be? I mean, eventually somebody would have figured it out. But if you know, if you see something weird or, or bizarre, put it in print. I tell that to our medical students, our residents, um, the fellows all the time. Hey, man, if you see something funky, write it up. Uh, I think it was in 2000 and what did we think? 2014, maybe we published this case called One Patient, Two Uteri. Two ablations. You had a patient, we had a patient with a uterine didelphus uh, who had dysfunctional bleeding, didn't want to hist. Uh, she wanted conservative treatment, but she was done with childbearing. So we did two ablations. We double barreled ablationed her um, and, and we published that in Fertility and Sterility. So if you look up one patient, two uteri, two ablations uh, with uh, CHOPPA, uh, you can find that case report. We put, we contributed that to the literature. And just like John Williams Ballantyne contributed this condition of mirror syndrome, we tried to add to the body of literature as well back then. So if you find something novel, put it in print. Well, anyway, back to our point. It hasn't been but the last 10 years that we've kind of elucidated at least a little bit more some of the potential pathophysiology. And it has a lot to do with that balance, as we discussed previously, of pro-inflammatory and anti-inflammatory biomarkers that uh, uh, that was recently FDA approved as a test for preeclampsia just over the summer of 2023, okay? So you can go back to our previous podcast and listen to that because this ratio of of anti-angiogenic over pro-angiogenic factors or soluble like tyrosine kinase 1 over things like placental-like growth factor at a ratio of greater than 40 predicted the development of preeclampsia with severe features. Very similar chemistry it has been found to be linked to the development of mirror syndrome, the triple edema syndrome, all right? So we know a lot more, but again, we'll discuss that in a little bit more detail as we get into the weeds coming up next. See, that was it. That was that was painless, right? We're done with the history section. So thank you for bearing with that. Oh, thank you.
All right, let's keep going back to our topic at hand. And our main centerpiece for discussion is this new systematic review. Remember, everybody, this came out of the Gray Journal just last month. So remember we said just a while back, like, man, I'm never going to see this thing. No, remember the, uh, my, my friend, our resident uh, in Dallas. Yes, this thing is out there. And this is why it, things are getting published about it. This last systematic review has a title called Mirror Syndrome, a Systematic Literature Review. No guessing there, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, nothing to guess about there. Very straightforward title. Uh, but this is kind of neat because even though there's a variety of authors, including some out of uh, Thomas Jefferson in Philly, uh, there's uh, authors also from my home state of Texas. So out of UT Houston and out of UT Medical Branch in Galveston, UTMB. Now, this isn't the only systematic review. In fact, there's been two previous systematic reviews that have been done. One of them was published back in 2010 by Braun et al. That was in Fetal Diagnostics and Therapeutics. And then the second one was in 2017, published out of the Journal of Perinatal Medicine. But of course, this is the most recent one that we're reviewing here. And these authors had the objective really at looking at the diagnostic criteria of this triple edema syndrome, this mirror syndrome. And let me just give a spoiler. That's one of the problems, okay? Not in their objective. The problem is, is that there really isn't one objective set of criteria. Now, we know what it is. It's edema of the baby, edema of the placenta, and edema of the mother. But how some of those things are diagnosed, like placental edema, um, is, is kind of vague. And then we're going to find this other clinical issue like hemodilution that we're going to get into. So that's a quick spoiler is, yeah, even though there is data out there and they started with 793 total publications to start out with, by the end of their kind of uh, exclusion criteria, at the end of their decision tree, they ended up with 13. Man, it's a lot of work, guys. Just, you know, I mean, things that are put off to the side, things that were incomplete records. Uh, some of those were duplicates. So after searching for all of the databases, right, PubMed, Scopus, Cochrane, clinical trials, uh, and Synol database, they took that 793, ended up with 13. That's one three. I mean, it's a lot of work, man, to do all that. So they excluded a lot of them, but this was 13 pieces of publication. All of these studies were either case reports, case series, cohort studies, and case control studies. In this systematic review, Table 2 lists the diagnostic criteria of mirror syndrome and their associated definitions. And you see, the problem is that these definitions are, are all varied. There's not this one set. Take, for example, maternal, maternal edema, right? We know that that's one of the uh, of the clinical presentations of the triple edema syndrome, right? Maternal edema. Well, some call that weight gain of more than one kilo per week. So more than two pounds a week. Others said, no, 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 it's an accumulation of excess fluid within the subcutaneous and body cavities, along with weight gain. All right, that makes sense. Others said, no, 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 it's only for skin and or pulmonary edema. So you see how they're, they're, they're all right, but there is not one specific way to doing that. So again, a lot of variability in the diagnostics. Same thing for fetal hydropes. We know that looks like an ultrasound, but is there a specific criterion for this condition? 
the majority used pathological fluid collections in two or more different fetal compartments. So, and that that's, goes the same for uh, Parvo B19. That goes the same for RH isoimmunization hydropes. It's pretty much two or more different fetal compartments that have fluid collection defines fetal hydropes. So there's not a lot of variability there. Placental edema was another one that was that was kind of odd because some said, oh, oh that's only diagnosed when it's weighed and if it's greater than 90% heavier than the normal range group. Well, that's weird. I mean, how do you know what a normal range group is? Yes, there's nonograms and you can look that up, but there's a lot of variability in that. Some consider placental edema to be a part of placental megaly, which is an ultrasound thickness greater than 40 or 60 millimeters of the placenta. So, like, okay, you can measure it, and if it's greater than 40 to 60 millimeters in, in placental thickness, then possibly that's placenta megaly. But again, still some variability in that definition of what constitutes placental edema or placenta megaly. So this is why it's hard to have a true estimate of this condition because there's not one set diagnostic criteria. Things like fetal hydropes and then the, the presentation of preeclampsia, those are pretty sad, right? We know what preeclampsia is. High blood pressure, protein in the urine, maybe some abnormal liver function tests if it's with uh, um, with severe uh, features. So we get that. But the ones that's a little bit more variable are the placental uh, edema and the maternal edema. Of this review of these 13 publications, the authors kind of grouped the main findings, the main theme of how moms presented, all right? So the clinical presentation of the mother typically included, of course, maternal edema. That's one of the three things of the triple edema syndrome. Low albumin levels, anemia, onset of hypertension with proteinuria, pulmonary edema, some patients had HELP syndrome, and then even oliguria or pleural effusion. Now, this is a serious issue because anywhere from 2 to 3% had cardiac failure. I mean, uh, the, the take-home from this, guys, is it's not just kind of a weird quinky-dink reaction from the mother to a hydropic child. This is bad, all right? The, the survival rate of the child, number one, because it's already a demodist. Uh, number two, because it's living in this, uh, in, in the ship that's also affected, right? Mom is also affected uh, with the edema. The, the the chance of overall survival of the child is 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 pretty low. And these and these mothers can get really sick. So this is a real thing. Now, part of that maternal clinical presentation does include hemodilution. Remember, that's one of the big uh, discriminators here between just regular old preeclampsia with severe features and mirror syndrome. So here there is a component of hemodilution. The problem is that doesn't have a set diagnosis either. But if you've had a normal hematocrit and then it drops under 30 without evidence of bleeding or abruption and there's low albumin levels uh, in the serum, so hypoalbuminemia, uh, consider hemodilution going on. All right, everyone, here's another big clinical pearl. Remember that preeclampsia typically what? Even though it can happen anytime over 20 weeks, we've all learned that 
really tends to happen late, late in the second trimester or well into the third trimester, right? But with this condition, it typically happens pretty quick once fetal hydropes is diagnosed. We're talking like seven to eight days, okay? This is fast. And the median age here for those studies that reported on gestational age, which was only five studies out of the 13, the median age was around 27 weeks or so, all right? It could be as early as 16 weeks um, to a little bit later on, but the median was 27 weeks. And that seems to repeat in the other case series. This seems to happen kind of early. Uh, yes, preeclampsia with severe features can happen at 26 weeks, 27 weeks, of course, 28 weeks, but typically it happens later on. So when patients present here with preeclampsia with severe features and they're like really sick, do that fetal ultrasound. We make sure you're not missing something because if you're like, oh, let me get the ultrasound to look for fetal growth, uh, make sure it's not growth restriction, which you should do anyway. Uh, and you're like, oh my gosh, that kid's hydropic. <laughs> then think mirror syndrome, all right? So these tend to happen a little bit earlier as compared to uh, just typical or traditional preeclampsia with severe features. We've already mentioned that maternal morbidity is real here, but it extends into delivery because there's a high rate of PPH, need for blood transfusion. Again, we mentioned HELP syndrome, renal dysfunction, and of course, uh, liver and cardiac dysfunction. Now, the good news is, is that the medium time to resolution of maternal complications was relatively fast. I mean, I consider it fast. It's about three days. And we're talking about somebody who's potentially critical. Boom, you have delivery, you separate the two. And the majority of resolution of these symptoms, um, yes, can happen as early as one day, but typically happens uh, about three days. Now, in some of the reports, uh, it could happen as late as 42 days because the range of return to normal was one to 42 days. But if you take a look at the median, when you do the math, it's still around 72 hours, three days. So mirror syndrome, when you separate the two, uh, moms tend to get better uh, pretty quickly. All right, everyone, it's not so good for the fetus, all right? Because the, the overall rates of fetal survival here uh, uh, don't look good. Now, Thankfully, the fetal mortality isn't 100, all right? That'd be awful. But according to the systematic review, and these are numbers that are pretty repetitive in the other reports. Trust me, we looked at them. The rate of stillbirth with mirror syndrome, with Ballantine syndrome, is around 67%, all right? 67%. And then the rate of neonatal or infant death, if, if it's not stillborn, the chance that it's going to, you know, not, not survive after the first, you know, few days of life, because remember, these babies are sick, um, the, the chance of neonatal or infant death was about 26%. So this is serious. I mean, th this is a, 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 a bad issue. And remember, a lot of that depends on the cause of the hydropes. Um, if it's something that is uh, uh, amenable to transfusion, obviously the baby can do a little bit better. If it's a severe cardiac malformation, that's going to be a little bit trickier, right? If it's RH isoimmunization, again, you can do transfusion therapy for that. If it's parvo infection, then appropriate uh, uh, antibi antimicrobial treatment would be okay. So it, the, the chance of fetal survival depends on the cause of the original hydropes.
to that point that it depends what caused that fetal hydropes in 2018 out of the journal BMC Pregnancy and Childbirth is a case series where maternal mirror syndrome completely resolved after successful fetal intrauterine therapy. So it, it's not always that, oh, you've got mirror syndrome. Oh my goodness, we've got to separate the two. It's a stat section. That typically is the case. But uh, as we see here in this publication from uh, 2018, it is possible that if you reverse the intrauterine condition, oddly enough, the maternal syndrome can resolve as well. How weird is that? Now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I do have to clarify something because the title of this 2018 publication from BMC Pregnancy and Childbirth, which is a very respected publication, okay? It's part of Springer Nature. It's a good journal. The title is Resolution of Maternal Mirror Syndrome After Successful Fetal Intrauterine Therapy, a case series. You're like, oh my goodness, wow, that's cool. What happened here? Well, let's see what this case series explains. Well, it's two cases. So now, now, why would you put in the title uh, "case a case series"? Is it really a case series? Wouldn't you just put a review of two cases? I mean, when I saw this title in PubMed, I'm like, "Ooh, but what the heck? Yeah, you can reverse mirror syndrome case series." I'm like, "How many is this? It's an N of fifteen, N of 20. It's two. Now, it's important when it makes the point that you don't always have to run to a stat section, which. This is typically how that that ends up, right? Rapid delivery for separation of the two and then quick treatment of the child. Um, yeah, but this is this is case one and case two. So there's your case series. I think would have been better if I was an, a peer reviewer for this. I would have said, um, Angel uh, Chimenea, can you please call this uh, two cases in summary instead of saying a case series? But, you know, what do I know? All right, podcast family, as we get ready to wrap this up, here's a couple of take-home messages. Number one, mirror syndrome, bad. How about that for just <laughs> cutting it to, to the bone? Uh, mirror syndrome, bad. As the authors state, quote, 90% of patients developed one or more potentially life-threatening complications, including PPH, ICU admission, heart failure, pulmonary edema, renal dysfunction, or HELP syndrome. The most significant risk was for PPH occurring in about 45% of cases, according to this systematic review. And of course, with that goes excessive blood transfusion, master transfusion protocol, which has its own associated morbidity. The authors go on to state, quote, the lack of consensus regarding the diagnostic criteria of mirror syndrome raises a continued clinical question, which is how is preeclampsia differentiated from mirror syndrome or are they a continuum of the same disease? And they do make a good point here is that just like preeclampsia, and we've already alluded to this a couple of times in this episode already, there is this relationship of an increase in anti-angiogenic factors compared to pro-angiogenic factors, all right? So that blood test from Thermos that got FDA approved over the summer, that could be used for this technically, even though it's off-label, because it it does have that same ratio of higher anti-angiogenic factors over 
proangiogenic factors. And remember that one of the clinical findings here is hemodilution. So as we get ready to wrap this up, the authors give these recommendations. Quote, in the absence of evidence-based data, we suggest obtaining a baseline hemoglobin level at the time of fetal hydropes diagnosis to help identify the development of hemodilution. Then, we suggest collecting a CBC, a complete metabolic, a urine protein and creatinine ratio, an LDH, and an albumin twice a week in the first week after diagnosis of fetal hydropes for the evaluation of mirror syndrome because the median time from the diagnosis of fetal hydropes to the diagnosis of mirror syndrome, guys, here's a clinical pearl, eight days according to this review. And after the first eight days, then you can do weekly checks of CBCs, CMPs, the urine protein to creatinine ratio, and albumin to evaluate for this progression of possible mirror syndrome, end quote. All right, so what's our take-home message here is that mirror syndrome is, is rare, but it's bad. I mean, fetal hydropes by itself is bad, right? But fetal hydropes that should you choose for whatever reason, conservative management, mainly because of extreme prematurity, then you've got to keep an eye out for this maternal reaction that likely is a result at a biochemical level uh, that shares similar pathophysiology to preeclampsia. Okay, so fetal hydropes. Next step is mom, you could get sick from this. Your body can make some kind of weird reaction in response to whatever the placenta is doing. So we don't want you to mirror what is happening with the baby. All right. Now, if you can reverse the fetal hydropes by whatever condition with intrauterine therapy, then do that because that can apparently keep mirror syndrome at bay. All right. All right, podcast family, let's get ready to take this home. All right, podcast family, we have covered mirror syndrome, a.k.a. triple edema syndrome, a.k.a. Ballantine syndrome. Look, whatever you call it, just recognize it. Remember, hydropes in the fetus, hydropes in the placenta, and mom that becomes hydropic is a really serious condition. It was seen in Dallas not long ago by one of my buddies who's in residency. And again, this new publication just from September 2023 calls attention to this. So if you ever ask, hey, what's mirror syndrome? Gah. A idiosyncratic reaction of the mother to the hydropic child usually caused by an imbalance in anti-angiogenic and pro-inflammatory substances. Bam! How about that? All right, podcast family, as always, we're thankful for you. and We're glad you're part of our podcast community. We'll see you on another episode of Clinical Pearls.